you can be seated. If you have your Bibles, take them to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Last week, we detoured from our verse-by-verse study of the book of Ruth uh, to observe the Lord's Supper, which is our habit on the fifth Sunday. And But uh, today, we're going to jump back into our series preaching through the book of Ruth. And I want to talk to you this morning on this subject. Three keys to an encounter with Jesus. Three keys to an encounter with Jesus. You say, Brother Ronnie, this is the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we're talking about Ruth and, and Naomi or Myra, as she's called now, or Boaz. I understand that, but the Old Testament was giving, given for our admonition, our learning to teach us certain things and I believe it's evidently apparent through as we read the story of Ruth uh, that we realize that Boaz is that person or type or individual that likened that is most likened to uh, Jesus himself and I I don't think we damage or allegorize the scripture to, to show that Boaz is this type of the Lord Jesus. And, and here in these first three verses in chapter, uh, number, uh, chapter number two, that should be chapter uh, number, number two. I didn't change the text there. It's, it's Ruth chapter number two and verses one through three. Ruth chapter two, verses one through three. And in these three verses, I believe there are keys, elements, things that we can apply to our lives that will heighten the chance. Of course, God does things sovereignly. He does things of His own will and His own purpose. But I believe that we can see from these verses how we can align ourselves for a special encounter with the person of Jesus, the Christ, the Spirit of Christ on this earth. And so I want us to look at these verses on that encounter. First of all, uh, Ruth Chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Three keys on an encounter with Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would Send your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds to understand the Word of God. Father, we pray uh, that you would uh, uh, speak to our hearts as only you can. Uh, Father, we pray first and foremost that if there are any among us that, are, that uh, have no relationship with the Lord Jesus, they've never encountered Him in saving faith, we pray that these keys this morning 
would be the ones to draw them into that initial encounter with their kinsman redeemer, their savior, the one that can forgive sin, the one that was raised from the grave after being crucified on the cross. God, we pray that they would have that encounter with Jesus Christ. But for us as well that do know him, we we can say in the past that we've come to know Jesus Christ, yet we constantly need that fresh encounter. And so God, I pray that you would teach us from your word this morning how that we may align ourselves for that best possibility of an unusual encounter with the Lord Jesus to strengthen and enable our lives. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. In 1991, in a newsletter from Dr. James Dobson, he relayed his opportunity to speak with Soviet dissident Irana Ratskavanka. It's the best I can do. I'm just going to Ratskavanka who had spent 14 years in the labor camps as punishment for her Christian activities. President Reagan heard of her plight and put pressure on Gorbachev at the time to release her during their meeting. Matter of fact, I read after that meeting, one of the first things said at the press conference was Miss uh, Irana, I'll just leave it at that, would be released from the gulag in which she was a prisoner. His, his uh, entreaty of Gorbachev was successful. And after that, she lived in exile in London for many years. As a matter of fact, she lost her Russian citizenship and for many years was, uh, became a poet. Most of her poetry uh, was written during that time in the gulags, in those prisons. Most, most of it was uh, uh, theological in nature, and I, I didn't read a lot of what she had written, but she became very renowned for her poetic works. until She lived in London for many years until 1998, after the fall of the communist regime there in Russia. She was allowed and permitted to come back and regained her her citizenship in Russia and spent the rest of her lives there in her home country dying in 2017 of cancer. After being raised, the story behind uh, Irana is that after being raised in an atheist home where uh, where it was was said that she found an old Slavic Bible when she was 23 years old. She did not know the Slavic language and actually self-taught her, uh, was self-taught Uh, in order that she might read this outlawed book in Russia. And it was through the reading of that Slavic Bible that she had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. She became a Christian. Her, Her faith was quickly discovered by the KGB, which infiltrated the Russian Orthodox Church there in, in that country and beca- they became like phony priests and they would find out who was, who was coming for a, a genuine uh, faith in Christ and they would sort them out and she was found out to be a Christian and sent to a labor camp. During her time in that gulag, she refused to deny the Lord and they tortured her. Uh, Some of the elements of her torture, one of which was they drilled inside of her teeth without anesthetic in order to test 
her tolerance for pain. She was placed in an unheated room at 50 degrees for five months and given only a cotton gown. She sat on the cold floor and was fed only every other day. But she was immovable in her testimony. She was immovable in her character as a Christian. She later said, and I think it's the understatement of the century, following Christ is not very uh, not a very pragmatic thing to do. It doesn't bring you very many benefits in the Soviet Union. And I think that's an understatement. But I look at her life and I look at, at the in, encounter. Matter of fact, what's interesting is, is, is I've studied this about this woman's life is there's so much that's been washed away of her Christian experience. There are bits and pieces of it. I want to go back and look further into her life and her poetry to find out. But you can see that even though she had been tortured and, and neglected and was in a seemingly hopeless situation, she maintained her faith in the Lord Jesus. I submit unto you only a real true living encounter with Jesus, a, a maintained daily relationship with Him could hold a person's faith up during such brutality. No matter where a person is physically, I, this is the, and this is the lesson to learn from her, no matter where a person is physically, they can encounter Jesus Christ. Whether they be behind the iron barn, in a cold cell, in the gulags, or whether they be in the buckle of the Bible belt, sitting in Faith Community Church this morning. Each and every one of us can have and desperately need to have a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. If you're here lost this morning, you need to meet him for the first time. As the Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus. But as we see in Apostle Paul's life, I was thinking about this morning how that the Apostle Paul in his letters uh, talked about how that no one was with him when he was in prison. But he said that the Lord stood by him. Je Jesus not only met Paul on the, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, but he met the same man in the prison cell with a fresh encounter of his enduring prison. We need the same in our life. I just Salvation in the Christian life is not just a one and done when we say yes to Jesus. It is a living, thriving relationship that must go on in our lives and is punctuated by those moments of fresh encounter with Him. Is salvation is only by an encounter with Jesus Christ. And in our story of Ruth, it has, we have Ruth meeting Boaz. And again, this is not an allegory. This is history. There was a woman named Ruth who was a Moabitess who had married the son of Naomi and Elimelech. You, as we've gone through, you know the story. This is history, but it's special history. In the fact that we can trace the person of Jesus, our relationship with Him, there are facets of the Christian life that overlay these stories from which we get nourishment. That's why it's so important to not only, not only study the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. Because 
with every page, with every account, with every psalm, with every poem, with every prophecy, there is a Christ that emerges from the pages for us to see. And I believe that we see that in the relationship between Ruth and Boaz. I believe that these three verses here, they give us keys to unlocking that whether, whether lost or saved, they give keys to unlocking that head-on encounter with Jesus Christ. So, I want to take from this three keys. The first key is this. The first thing to realize is a present Lord. A present Lord. The first thing we realize in this, in this is that Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, is here. He's available. Just as Boaz, even though Ruth didn't know him. I want you to understand something. When they introduce Boaz in verse number 1, it is not an indication that Ruth or Naomi knew anything about his whereabouts. Of course, Naomi knows him. We'll find out later as you read the book of Ruth. Naomi knows exactly who he is. But evidently kind of forgotten or, or whatever, not really thinking about it. Ruth has no idea who he is. So when he's introduced as the kinsman, she doesn't know that in verse number 2. She doesn't know which field she's going into. And we're going to talk about that field situation in a minute. Why she went out to the field. But she knew nothing about this, uh, nothing about Boaz. There's just, there's just things that sent her uh, to the field. But, but there is a Lord that is present. He's near. They may not know it. She doesn't know it. Naomi doesn't know it. But there is a God in heaven that knows where we are. And there is a Christ that is available. That is near. Just like Boaz, even though she didn't know it. Just like she didn't know that Boaz was near. There is a Christ that is near us. Notice first of all. I want you to see the Lord... Uh, that he is a Lord of accessibility. When verse number 1, when we read of the kinsman, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. This is what we would technically call foreshadowing. It's telling a necessary fact that you need to know before you read the story. It won't be, the implications of which will be later on. It's foreshadowing. But in this, we see that he was a man of wealth, a man of stature, of the family of Elimelech. Boaz, as verse number 1 tells us, Boaz was a kinsman of the family of Elimelech. Naomi was related to Boaz by marriage. Now for us, we see Boaz as a type of the Lord Jesus in his accessibility. God the Father, who is Spirit. We know that from the New Testament teaching. Our, our God the Father is Spirit. We must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. It's clear. God does not form a body. He is not, he is not Himself a body. He is Spirit. But His Son is, has been embodied. We celebrate it every year. When Jesus Christ was born in the very city of Bethlehem, the setting of our story, Jesus inhabited a human body 
And so therefore, Jesus, unlike the Father who, who dearly loves us, who cares for us, our, our Heavenly Father, as Jesus taught, our Heavenly Father meets our needs. He, we have a Heavenly Father, but He is difficult to identify with because He's not bone of us. He's not like us. Matter of fact, that's what holy means. He's the, he's the separate other. He is not like us in, in any respect. Even though we have His creative image, He is not like us. But Jesus is like us. We can identify with Him. One preacher I read after said this, He that in heaven had a father but no mother came to this earth to be born of a mother but had no earthly father. He came, he became one of us, one of us, he became one of us, one with us, and one for us. And by taking on himself human flesh, he, re, he became related to us. He is a kinsman. He's related to you and I. He is a member of our, uh, of the Household of humanity, so to speak. We have a Jesus that is accessible. He's approachable. Jesus, I, I, I firmly believe, and I know it's the fact, Jesus' body still exists. He is in bodily form beside the Heavenly Father in heaven. He's gone away, His disciples, they touched His body, they felt Him. He ate flesh before them after the resurrection. They watched that body ascend to the heaven, to the highest of heavens, where He now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And His Spirit, we, 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 we can't lay hold of the body of Jesus. One day we will, but we can't lay hold of that body right now. But His presence is here no less by His Holy Spirit. Jesus is near. That's what I'm trying to get to you this morning. He is accessible. Jesus is near. He's not some far off being that's unattainable, that's unrelatable. He's here. He's with us. He is accessible. Jesus longs for us to come to Him. Matter of fact, Matthew 28, His invitation. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus leaves an invitation for us to approach Him. A Lord of accessibility. A Lord of abundance. Notice in verse number 1, he said he was a mighty man of wealth. This was a man of notoriety. Boaz was a man of abundance, of wealth, of possessions. He was a man that had many servants. If you read further in the book, you'll get a picture of how he had men servants that worked for him. He had maiden servants, maidens that worked for him. He had a number of people. He was a, he was a landowner, a, a field owner. He had an operation in which he was, the, he was the head overall. You'll find later on, we'll look up at this in a minute. But he commanded those uh, under, uh, that were under him to do certain things. He was a man of abundance. No matter the millions and billions in wealth that are touted, by the wealth of this world, none can match the untold treasures of abundance that are owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, when I never forget a study, I went through the book of Revelation, and there's always this wonder what is the book in the hand of the Father? What is the book in the hand of the Father? In, John, in Revelation chapter number five, there was no one worthy to take the book. No one could come and open the seals thereof because I honestly believe that this is the title deed to the earth. And the unraveling 
of the apocalypse, the unraveling of all things and following out according to God's providential will can only be, un- be done by the owner of the scroll. And who is it that took the scroll? It was the Lamb from the midst of the throne. It is Jesus Christ that is the owner of all things. Jesus, by virtue of creation, is the owner of all things. What is it that the old black preacher S.M. Lockridge says? He didn't, have to, he didn't have to put a laundry mark on the meadow to show his ownership. No, he owns it by creation. He didn't have to put a copyright of the song of the songbird in the skies. Why? Because he's the owner. He's the owner of all things in heaven and in earth. He's the owner of all things. Like one old preacher said, he owns the cattle of a thousand hills and he owns all the taters underneath the hills too. He's the the owner of all. He said, Brother Ronnie, is that why we come? We come to Jesus because He owns all things and we might, we might get a piece of the action there. No! No, for goodness sake, no. He is the owner of all things and He will not. I don't believe in a prosperity gospel. I don't believe in a gospel that says you'll be healthy, fit, and wise and healthy, wealthy, and wise if you come to Jesus. Well, you will be wise. I don't think you'll be healthy and wealthy per se if you come to Jesus. That's not our birthright. Our birthright is eternal life. Our birthright is persecution. Our birthright is difficulty. Manifold temptations. We talked about it Wednesday in, in Peter. How that we're, we are destined for problems and difficulties in life. But we come to Jesus for ultimate salvation. Salvation, to escape the, the to, to escape the wrath you the wrath of God. We come to God for His abundant mercy. We come to God for His grace. In John 1.14 it says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. What? Full of grace and truth. I need grace. I need truth. I need mercy. That's what I come to Jesus for. His abundance. In that regard, Lord of accessibility, a Lord of abundance. Also, He's a Lord of authority. Our verse says that He was a mighty man. As a matter of fact, the name Boaz means mighty man or, or a man in His strength. Some suppose Him to maybe be a mighty man of the law because He knew it well. When it comes down to the kinsman redeemer, we'll see later on. When it comes down to that kinsman redeemer, he knew the law. He just couldn't take, he just couldn't take Ruth even though she wanted to be with him. She couldn't just take Ruth and, and fulfill the role of that kinsman. No, there were other things that had to be done. So he might have been a man mighty in the law. He might have been a judge. You go back to the book of, well, this is right on the end of the book of Judges. And you'll find... All kinds of interesting characters, men of virtue and flaws in the book of Judges that were, that were these men of, that were judges in Israel. He might have been a judge, a, a judge in Israel. But needless to say, he was a man of a authority. You go back and you read, you read these sub- subsequent chapters. He gives, he gives command to his servants to do certain things and to permit certain things. Uh, one of my favorite, I mentioned it, I believe in our prayer this morning, is he, he, he tells his men as they're harvesting that barley to not get every bit of barley, but, but to take little handfuls and wherever, wherever Ruth was, throw them right in her path. Little handfuls on purpose and they do just that. And she gets an overabundance of wheat and of barley. Here we find that he is a man of authority. 
I tell you, God has given Jesus a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every person that has ever lived, every person that will ever live, will bow the knee to Jesus Christ and declare Him Lord. That's an authority that the men of all history have lusted after and desired for. That all the nations would bow to them. Nebuchadnezzar wanted it. Caesar wanted it. Stalin wanted it. Everybody through history wanted a, uh, wanted a position of ultimate authority that every knee would bow to him. But the only person that will ever occupy that kind of authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he splits the heavens and makes his appearance, every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He said it so himself upon his resurrection. Jesus came and spake in Matthew 28, 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Revelation 1.18, Jesus states adamantly, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of death and hell within his hand, within his grasp. He is a man of authority. Boaz was a man available to Ruth. Boaz was a man that had exactly what Ruth needed. Food. Life was found in him. Boaz was a man of authority that could change her entire state. That could change her years and days forever on this earth to come. He was a man of authority. Jesus is the same for us today. If you want a fresh encounter of strength and of grace, it's only found in one person, Jesus Christ. A Lord that is accessible, a Lord that is abundant, a Lord that is authoritative. A present Lord, that same Lord, available, abundant, uh, authoritative, is here. He is here. Amen. Jesus by His Spirit is here, accessible to us. And notice second of all, not only do we see in verse number 1 a present Lord, but I want you to see in verse number 2 a perceived lack. A perceived lack. You see, this point is critical to our story. If Naomi had come back with a wagon full of gold from Moab, every whim of her profitability with her and set up shop in Bethlehem, Ruth would have never gone to a field and she would have never met Boaz. You see, the way things were situated there was a lack that brought her to Boaz. Her lack. It doesn't matter if this Boaz is available, if this Boaz is abundant, if this Boaz is able, if this Boaz is authoritative. It doesn't matter a bit if Ruth doesn't have a need. If she doesn't realize that she lacks something. And that's the same that is true with every person on this planet. If they don't realize their need of a Savior, they will never come to Jesus. If there's no need for mercy, 
If there's no need for forgiveness, if there's no realization of someone's desperation to escape the wrath of God, to have the gift of eternal life, to escape, dare I say, the flames of hell, if they never realize their need, they'll never come to Jesus. You see, her lack, her need is exactly what brought Ruth to Boaz. And it's the same with us today. It's the same with us today. Let's, first of all, we see a hunger felt. He said, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight, uh, in whose sight I might find grace. So, here's the thing. Now, I'm going to get into this in the next point, but here's the thing. Ruth knows that there is something in the law that says that she can go into a field where they're harvesting grain. And whatever the harvesters leave behind, let's say they drop, that fall off the sheaf, if there be little kernels of wheat that fall on the ground, that she as a widow, as she as someone without food, as a beggar, basically a beggar, can go into that field and take what is dropped behind in order to have for herself. Now I say that to say this, she was hungry, she needed food, why else she be wanting to go and do such difficult, such a difficult humiliating task as being basically a beggar in the field looking for something to fall off of a truck. Here she is in need, she's hungry. Years ago I was watching a scene of the television show Little House on the Prairie. That's when they made great television back in the 80s. And well, well, anyway, they made great television when they made House of the Prairie, a little House on the Prairie in the Waltons. How about that? That's great television. The Waltons and House on the Prairie. And, uh, and so in this scene of Little House on the Prairie, Mr. Ingalls had ducked out of church and stayed home to plow the family fields. Well, Mrs. Ingalls was all over him. Why in the world would you do this on the Lord's Day? And uh, Mr. Ingalls' response was a clever one. Well, God ain't going to plow the field for me. <laughs> He's not going to... God's not going to... God's not going to mysteriously plow the field for me. I, I've got to put my boots on and do it. He'll give the abundance, but I've got to go out and get it. You see, in similar fashion... That is the need of food and sustenance that drives Ruth to the field. She just can't sit in the living room of the little hovel and wait for grain to fall from the sky. Her need has to drive her to go find it. Remember, I think it's clear in Romans 3, there is none that seek after God. There is none good. There's none that seek after God. There's no one that is genuinely of a mind, I'm going, of the in and of himself, I'm going to find God. No, there is the work of the Holy Spirit that causes one to realize their need and then go after Jesus. Then go out and find Him. You see, there is a need uh, in, in the lost sinner by, revealed by the Holy Spirit a need to realize they need deliverance from death that causes man, men and women to go out and to try to find that life-giving bread that is in Jesus Christ. The need, the hunger felt. 
notice also the help found. Now, why, why was Ruth saying such a thing that she would go out into a field that don't belong to her, that she might find grace in the sight of the owners of that field? Well, let me get you. First of all, the reason why she thinks this is because of the Levitical law. Look at, look at what it says in the law of Moses in Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10. And when is God speaking to the people of Israel and, and telling them his law? These are his rules in which he's going to go by. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. For thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. Did Israel have some kind of welfare mechanism for their society? Yes. Matter of fact, he did. God told the people of Israel that those corners... You were to leave the corners for the poor. And as you took up the grain, if there were grapes that fell, if there were pieces of the harvest that fell, you were not to pick them up. You were to leave them behind for the poor to come after them. So now, Ruth had a hunger, needed to be filled. She just couldn't stay where she was. She had to go out there. But what drove her out there? What caused her to think by going out in a field that she might find grace in someone's eyes, that she might be permitted uh, to find something to eat, was the Word of God. was the Bible. It's the law of Moses that, that told her that there was help to be found. The law of God pointed to where help could be found. <laughs> Listen, you cannot exclude the Word of God from a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. Because it is the Word of God that tells us where to find Him. How to find Him. We just can't stay in the living room with our sneakers on and our feet propped up on the coffee table watching TV and expect God to just beam it in. And you get an encounter, a fresh encounter with Jesus. Sustenance for your soul. Joy overflowing from the presence of Jesus. It don't happen that way. How does it happen? It has something to do with this book. It has something to know. I have a need. I've got to have Him. This is not cutting it. The media is not cutting it. I'm, I, I feel as though I'm getting distant, more distant from God. I, I need Him. And I come to God's Word. And it points me towards Him. We must perceive our need and let it drive us to go out and glean in the fields of God's Word. You say, Brother Ronnie, my, I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about, but that dead, lifeless, distant feeling in my relationship with the Lord. And I'm not talking about, I, I know our feelings come and go. I'm not, I'm not so much given to uh, uh, to emotions and feelings as a, as a point of connectivity uh, to the, the person of God. But at the same time, 
You know that coldness, that backslidden feeling, that sense in which I am not as close to God as I should be. And so if I'm going to, if I'm going to shorten that gap, if I'm going to come near Him, it has to be from this. It can't be from anything else. I have to realize my need and I have to let it drive me to the Word of God. A hunger felt, a hope found, also, I mean, help found, also a hope formed. A hope formed. Her hope formed by the Word of God is that she would find unmerited, undeserved favor. The help of God's Word pointed her to the hope of God's grace. Ruth's hope is, in, is that the eyes of someone greater than she might look down upon her undeserving case and bestow favor upon her. Glory to God. That's what salvation is. <laughs> That's what any fresh encounter with Jesus is all about. It is a sense in which I have a need and I approach God through His Word and hoping that God would be gracious enough to forgive my sins, to adopt me into His family, to make me one of His own, and also to grant a personal closeness, the breath of God to once again fall upon me, to bridge that gap and draw me closer to Himself. Oh, listen. When I came to Jesus, I wasn't coming for a reward. I was coming for, for grace. Any fresh encounter you may have with Jesus Christ will not be because of how many chapters you read, how long your prayers are. It will be because of Jesus' unmerited, undeserved favor shed in your direction. That's why I said this is not a one, two, three, repeat after me, it's going to happen. Because it's all about His grace. It's all about His mercy. It's all about His choosing and what He, he does in our lives. Do you want a fresh encounter with Jesus then you've got, to, you've got to realize that you have a need and that the Word of God is what will drive us to Him. And in that, through the Word of God, there is a hope formed that we will encounter Him. You'll never encounter the grace of God until you realize that you are a needy person. And if you don't encounter someone outside of your ability, you will die for want of nourishment. Just like Ruth would die of starvation sitting in that living room with all the faith in the world had it not realized that she had the need that there was the Word of God that said she could go out into that field with the hope that she'd find grace in the eyes of someone in authority. And the same is true with God's salvation for us. A present Lord... A perceived lack. doesn't matter if the Lord's near. doesn't matter if His presence is so thick you could cut it with a knife. If you don't realize you need Him. If you don't realize that the Word of God is where He can be found and drawn near where hope is formed. He will do you no good. Last of all, we see a providential leading. Verse number 3. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. I remember years ago when I was taking discipleship training, in that discipleship training they, they asked you to circle 
words uh, that were key words, important. Maybe you didn't know what the word meant. And you were to dig into and study the meaning of those words. Well, this word hap in verse number 3 needs to be a word that's circled three or four times. It's an old English word that means by accident, by chance, or as fortune would have it. He happened. We would use he happened upon, but they, they used hap. Her hap, her happening, she happened upon the field of Boaz. Now many people might see that as luck. I, one of my favorite preachers is a preacher by Ed Ballou. I don't know if he preached much on this mountain, uh, but Ed Ballou was a great influence in my early life. Ed Ballou was a preacher of just un, unequaled eloquence. He could turn a phrase and talk to people. That, it, the legend is that little babies would sit and listen to Ed Ballou. You know? <laughs> he would captivate the kids. They, they, uh, they, they, they would constantly be just hooked on uh, Brother Ed Ballou. Anytime Ed Ballou, you listen to his preaching, sometimes he'll get along the subject of luck. And he'd, he'd preach against having a rabbit's foot in your pocket. You, oh, you have rabbit's foots in your pocket? They wasn't lucky for that rabbit. Somebody cut his foot off. And I don't see how you think I'd bring you luck. And, and some of you guys in your barn, you've got a horseshoe that's, that's up there, up, right way up to collect all the luck. He, he, said, he followed that by saying, he said, I hope that thing falls off and hits you on the head. He said when it would come to luck, he would say this. I've got something very profound to say to you, uh, all of you that believe in luck. He, he, would, he would make that sound in front of everybody. Why? Because there is no such thing as luck. Four-leaf clovers and little, uh, uh, little rainbows following leprechauns. There is no thing, there is no such thing as luck. I believe that the Holy Spirit is not teaching us about chance or luck, but is emphasizing the outward appearance of the providence of God. From the outside, it looks as though that whatever field... I can imagine. What, what, what made Ruth go to the left field and not the right field? Or the, or the right field and not the left field? We from the outside might, might look at Ruth and say, man, it's just a flip of a coin. It, it's just luck, dumb luck, that she happens into the field of her near kinsman. You know, we could do the, other th- the same thing in other parts of the Bible. You think about Abraham sacrificing Isaac on Mount Moriah. There just happened to be a ram coming up the other side to replace Isaac. Uh, you think about uh, 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 when, when the brothers of Joseph, they had him down in that hole and they were contemplating killing Joseph. There just happened to be a caravan of Ishmaelites going down to Egypt. Boy, whew, as luck would have it, that's a good piece of luck because it saved their whole family and the line of the promised seed of, of, of Jehovah. Or was it luck that this burning bush was in the sight of Moses as he was on the backside of the wilderness? Was it a stroke of luck that little David and his sling was able to take that little rock and hit, hit that giant of a man and fell him flat? What a stroke! What a shot! 
in, in basketball, when somebody hit a shot like that, we'd say, Merry Christmas. That's your gift because that'll never happen the rest of the year. What a shot David got right at the bullseye on that giant. What a stroke of luck. No. What a stroke of luck that there was a tax when Augustus was, was the Caesar over all the land and he caused all the men to go to their home city which made Joseph and his very expectant wife Mary to come back to his hometown of the city of David, Bethlehem for the Savior to be born. What a stroke of luck. No. It's the providence of God. God, in His infinite wisdom that is shrouded in mystery, somehow knows how to take life and do this or that. Listen, there's someone accessible. There is Jesus. There's, there's a realization that I have a need. But at the same time, those two do not exactly equal an encounter with Jesus. It's the providential hand of God in the life of people. The providential hand of God in the life of His people. The providential hand of God in the life of those that don't know Him. He does this to lost people. He directs the path that they may find Him. God is in charge and working all things out to the counsel of His own will. Notice, first of all, I'm almost finished. We see God's leading to a place. God leading to a place. We see in verse number 3 uh, that her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. God is leading Ruth to glean in a field where she would find grace. God is leading her onto a stage where He Himself is orchestrating moment by moment according to His will. Can you identify that in your own life? If you're here this morning saved by God's grace, then you know something of that. I know something of that. As a 21-year-old college student spiraling into alcoholism, God sent providentially things in my life that otherwise I, I would have never come to Christ. He sent the testimony of a young lady that got saved when she was 18 years old. And it proved to me, I thought salvation was only for old people. I thought Christianity was just something old people did to impress each other. But he sent the testimony of that young lady right there to me. How that God radically changed her life. And my thought was, will God change my life? Then I was in, uh, we were on a, we were on a, 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 a bas I played basketball at Southern Tech. And we were on a, a away game down in South Georgia. We're staying in a hotel room. After the game was over, we got, a, we, we got beat to a pulp against Georgia Southwestern. Coach was in a bad mood. Go up there, get your stuff, and let's get out of here. I run up to my room. I grab my, my bag, and then I lay seeing right there on the counter, right there on the nightstand, somebody left a gospel track, and it's had Jesus on it. It said, all this I did for thee. I don't even think I read that track. I just sit there and stared at it, picked it up. Don't know why I picked it up. And stared at that track all the way home, remembering all my life I'd spent in church and never, never had a realization of what Jesus had done for me. And then, and then that night, 
When I realized my emptiness, my need of a Savior driving down I-75, I called out to the Lord Jesus and He saved me. There were little handfuls of purpose. There were little providential nudgings along the path that brought me to Himself. Maybe you're here this morning and you're lost. Hey, today is that nudging where God is taking the Word of God and the picture of an available Savior that is ready to save and guiding you straight to Him. Straight to one that will save you. Straight to one that will meet your needs. Oh, listen, do you want a fresh encounter with Jesus? I don't have an exact formula, but I know what will put you in the field of it. Number one, realize there's a Savior that is available. Number two, realize that there's a book that points you to Him. That he, This is a living Word that will guide us to Him. And number three, if you want to meet Jesus, if you desire that, then God will grant that. You just lay yourself in His hands and say, God, I just want Your grace wherever I can find it, wherever You want to lead me to. Whatever it takes, i just got to have it. I've got to have it. The leading to a place. Place. Whether it's to a church, or whether it's to a Bible, whether it's to an encounter with a friend that might have a word from God. I don't know. But it's that place. She, she found her way to that place. But not only the leading to a place, but the leading to a person. What's God doing here? He's not simply bringing her to a field. He's bring, well, you know the story of Ruth. Ruth, how she meets Boaz and, and they get married and, and the, the lineage of David continues and the, all the way into the person of Jesus. It's not about her finding a field of food. It's not her. Uh, it's not about bringing her simply to that field. It's about bringing her to a person. God is arranging things that she might encounter a man that will change her life forever. Don't get me wrong. I love church. I, I, I love church, but church is not the answer. You know, uh, We'll get thrilled because a family member starts going back to church, and that, that's great. That's a good first step, but that's not the end all and be all. That's not an encounter with Jesus necessarily. It's not the church. I, I love the Bible. I, I love to read the Bible. I love prayer. I love sharing my faith. But listen, then it, these in of themselves are not the end all and be all of experience. God wants to bring us to a person. God, won't, God doesn't necessarily want you uh, to, to live, by, uh, live by a rule book, a set of rules. That's not the Christian experience. The Christian experience is not living by a handbook of objective rules. Those are rules, yes, those are things we should follow. But the objective of the Christian life is to know Christ, to know Him greater than we've ever known Him before. To know the power, Paul said, to know the, Him, to, to, to know Him and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. To know Him, to know Christ, to know Jesus. God wants to bring us to a person, Jesus. This is the providential leading that, not, uh, that only God can do. He longs to do it. There is nothing that would please Him more than for you to encounter his son, time and time again. I think of so many people down through, down through history. I think of the great, the great missionary Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson 
His father had hopes for him going into ministry. He went into college as a young man. was there, met another man who led him down a path of atheism. A refusal of God. He had to come back and tell his father that he was leaving, the, leaving any hope of being a minister. That he was an atheist. That he was going to throw off the yoke of Christianity. He went uh, traveling out west to see a family member. Stopped in an inn one night. Out of random on the side of the road. Had his dark... Riding by horseback, he had to find a place to lay his head. Adam Judson had said that yes, they had one room, but they were reluctant to rent it to anybody because the room adjacent to it was a man that has been very ill and that is dying. No, probably will die tonight. A bitter, you know, nowadays they, they, they put so much morphine in you that, 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 that there's no realization of the pain and suffering that goes into physical death. That not, not in this case. And he's like, well, I'm so tired, I'll just take the room. I, I, can, I can sleep through anything. And all that night, all that night, he heard the moans and the, and the cries of this man, the whisper of doctors in the hall. There's nothing that we can do for him. All of the moans and the cries until late in the night they grew silent. Adoniram Judson came down to pay his bill and to leave that morning. He asked about the man that had finally quietened it. Oh, yes, that man... That man died that night. As uh, filtering a tinge of remorse, he asked the man's name. The man in the very next room was the man in college that led him down the road of atheism. It was then and there that Adoniram Judson put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God had providentially led him to himself through those happenstances, through those circumstances. Think about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was saved as, he, as a uh, late teen, early 20s. Greatly influentially used in Chicago. His ministry then began to branch out. He began to do meetings all over the country. Went to England. There became a household name in America, household name in America before, because of what reviving took a, a happened in England at the preaching and ministry of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody came back and, and his ministry, he admitted, had gotten into a, a place of staleness, a place of, uh, 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 of, of, of problems, dryness in it. There were a couple of, young, of ladies that came to him and said, we want to pray for you and pray God gives you an extra touch. And he said, no, don't pray for me. Pray for souls to be saved. Pray for the meetings. Don't necessarily pray for me. But they persisted in their prayer. And their testimony of D.L. Moody needing a touch caused him to call out on God. And just before he went back to England, he's walking down the streets in New York City and God so overwhelmed him with an encounter of His presence. He had to find a secluded room, a private room to worship and to, and to yield himself completely to the Spirit of God. It was the extra touch he needed and God magnificently used him beyond any possibility of, of that he had had before. God used him in a special way through a fresh encounter with Jesus. That's what your life needs. That's what my life needs. A fresh encounter with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus, God's providentially brought you here. See your need of a Savior and come to Him. If you're here burdened down with life, you seem so distant from God. You were so much closer to God than you used to be and now it just seems like life piles on. I know something about that. Life's just piling on and piling on. And, and with everything that is handed to you in life, you just seem that much further.
from God. Listen, you need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Know that it comes through His Word. Know that it comes through seeking after Him. Come to Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you're lost, you don't know the Lord Jesus, I beg you to come. I'll take the Bible, show you what I can for you to know and how to be saved. If you're here and need a fresh encounter with Jesus, why don't you start right now in your chair or at this altar saying, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need to encounter you fresh and anew. We need that as a church. We need God to blow through this place and do a work in every one of our lives. Pray that God does it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for these shadows, these sketches of what happened to Ruth, bringing her to Boaz. God, I pray that you do the same in us. Providentially guide us, lead us to a fresh encounter with you. I'll admit, Father, I need this in my life. Life is just piling on after piling on after piling on. The distance seems so great. Oh God, may I, may I dive into your word even deeper and find in that place, find grace in your eyes. And God, you bring me into a head-on collision with Jesus. Father, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.